It, it's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Network. It is, of course, the Ryan Hickey Show on this Monday morning. Wow. Have you gotten enough sleep? Have you finally come down from what was an insanely unbelievable week 18 in the NFL? The first ever week 18. Wow, it did not disappoint. Unfortunately, there was a lot more drama than I was hoping for being a Colts fan. Really kind of started the day off yesterday in the, let's put it nicely, the worst possible fashion you could ever ask for. Led to more drama in the 4 o'clock window. Led to one of the best up and down, back and forth seesaw games where I promise you last night will be the first and only time in our lifetime everyone collectively is rooting for a tie. Now, unfortunately, we were, what, two seconds and 37 yards away from getting that tie? Unfortunately, though, Raiders kicked the field goal. We did not get it. They go to the playoffs. Congratulations to them. But as you could tell, just yesterday alone, we have a ton to get into. We'll get into the Colts debacle in 15 minutes from now. It is also Black Monday in the NFL. We already know the fate of one head coach, Vic Fangio, is out. Which head coaches today will be fired? Who should return? We will keep you updated as uh, throughout the morning as the news trickles in. So make sure, again, stay tuned. We will keep you locked and loaded with the fate of Joe Judge, with Mike Zimmer, with maybe Pete Carroll. We got a lot to get into there. So we will keep you abreast of all the head coaching news. Oh, yeah, by the way, the NFL is not enough to keep us occupied because we also got a national championship game tonight. I think Georgia is beating Alabama for two reasons. We'll do that in one hour from now. I'll explain my reasoning. As always, we are coming to you live from where else but the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. There's no other place to start. Like I said, one of the, the most entertaining, back-and-forth, craziest games we'll ever watch. And that is the Raiders taking down the Chargers in overtime to go to the playoffs. Las Vegas is in. LA is out. And there's so many storylines to get into. Let's start with the main one here. Let's start with something that I think like we got to correct the record on and set everyone straight. The timeout by Brandon Staley with 38 seconds left in, the, in overtime did not impact the decision-making of the Raiders. Let me say that again. Brandon Staley's timeout did not impact the decision-making of the Raiders. Vegas was, wasn't playing for the tie. I don't know about you, I was rooting for the tie big time. Everyone on Twitter I saw was rooting for the, uh, for the tie big time. I even know a good friend of mine that's a big Raiders fan. Shout out to you, Stu. Congratulations. He was rooting for the tie. Everyone wanted the tie except the Raiders. Because guess what? Whether Brandon Staley called that timeout with 38 seconds left just before third down or not, the Raiders were going to kick the field goal. They were playing for the win. And if you don't believe me, 
and think I'm just making it up or, or not being truthful or kind of speculating, let me play you what Derek Carr said to Michelle Tafoya after the game on the field. Michelle asks, and you listen to it, that timeout, did it change your thinking at all? Here's what Derek Carr had to say, and before I go anywhere, pay attention to the second half of his answer. Here it is. So you hear that, right? Because I saw Derek Carr's quote go viral last night on Twitter talking about how, oh, the, the timeout changed the strategy. You heard three seconds later Derek Carr say, we wanted to win the game. We wanted to be the only team going to the playoffs Sunday night. We did not want the Chargers joining with us. So guess what that tells you? Whether Brandon Staley called a timeout on third down or not, the, the Raiders were still trying to win the game. They were still trying to get in the field goal range. And whether they got 10 yards like they did on third down, whether they got four yards, no yards, it sounds like they were going to kick the field goal to try to take the lead. They were playing to win the game. So enough with Brandon Staley being the reason why the Chargers lost. That's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. The timeout had zero impact because what the Raiders wanted to do was get into field goal range and kick a field goal, whether he called the timeout or not. Not to mention, let's look at the, the actual time when Brandon Staley took the timeout. Because right? when people are thinking, oh man, he caught out, he's poking the bear. He's trying to get the ball back. He's trying to be too aggressive. Does anyone remember when, when Brandon Staley called the timeout? Because that is extremely important. He called the timeout with four seconds left on the play clock. If you were someone, let me just ask you this, right? If you're playing Madden or you're just uh, now, you know, a lot of smart NFL fans, if you're a smart f- football fan, which a lot of you are, if you wanted to conserve time to get the ball back, if you wanted to give your offense a Justin Herbert one last chance to get the ball back, wouldn't you think you would call timeout with more than four seconds left on the play clock? Like, if you were playing to get the ball back, you're not waiting till just about the ball is snapped. You're not waiting till there's only 38 seconds to say, timeout. Yeah, we're going to try to get the ball back. We're going to try to get a stop here. No. You know why he called the timeout? To set his defense. Brandon Staley said after the game, we called the timeout because we knew the run was coming and we didn't want to let up a big run, which, of course, they ended up doing. But he didn't call the timeout to be aggressive. He didn't call the timeout to try to sneak one by the Raiders and try to steal an extra possession. He knew what the Raiders were doing. The Raiders were going to kick the field goal no matter what. And Brandon Staley in his mind said, you know what? I got to make sure it lined up. I don't like how it looks. We want to make this field goal as long as possible. So he's not calling the timeout to conserve time. He's calling the timeout to make sure his defense is lined up. That's why you call a timeout with four seconds left on the play clock and not when there's 40 seconds left on the play clock. Brandon Staley's not a dummy. He's no idiot. He doesn't have the clock management skills of Mike McCarthy. If he wanted the ball back, he would have called timeout as soon as the second down play was over. He called the timeout in order to set his defense, and obviously, as we know, it didn't matter, right? The Raiders run, rip off a big run, and that's what leads to the Raiders getting a field goal position. But again... 
Just like if you didn't believe me with Derek Carr when the Raiders were trying to play for the win, if you don't believe me when I'm trying to tell you that the Brandon Staley timeout had nothing to do with the Raiders' strategy, here is Rich Passaccia asked about the same question after the game in a post-game press conference. He was asked, Rich, did the timeout impact your decision-making at all to go for the field goal or be more aggressive? Here is what Rich Passaccia post-game had to say. And you know all the playoff machinations right. if you tie. Was there any consideration to just running down the clock there and not even attempting a field goal? To yeah, it was, it was a conversation. We were talking about, you know, I don't know if you know, we ran the ball there and they didn't call a timeout. So I think they were probably thinking the same thing, you know, and then, then we had the big run to there. And when we got the big run and got us, we thought it was field, advantageous field goal position for us, we were going to take the field goal and try to win it. But we're certainly talking about it on the sideline. We want to see if they were going to call a timeout or not on that run. They didn't, so we thought they were thinking the same thing. And then we popped the run in there and gave us a chance to kick the field goal to win it. So we're certainly talking about it. Okay, Rich Bersacci goes, we were talking about running out the clock. We were thinking about maybe just taking this game to have it be a tie. But what did he reference? What did he say was the game-changing decision to go for the field goal? It wasn't that Brandon Staley called the timeout. He said because they ripped off a big run. They got them into advantageous field goal territory. Brandon Staley's timeout had nothing to do with the decision-making of the Raiders. You know what changed the decision-making of the Raiders? A third and four run that led to a first down. That got them deep into Charger territory to make the field goal for Daniel Carlson, who has never missed at home this season. Easy. A layup. Manageable. That is the game changer. And that is what really the, the big emphasis should be about Brandon Staley. It's not the fact that he called timeout with 38 seconds left and four seconds left on the play clock that all of a sudden magically woke the Raiders up and said, huh, maybe we'll go for it. No. It's the fact that he called timeout to get his defense set to stop the run, and they still allowed a 10-yard run. The Chargers' run defense all season long has been an issue, has been their big Achilles heel, and guess what? In the biggest moment of the game, when maybe, maybe, if you get a stop for no yards or maybe even lose a yard or two, the Raiders don't even attempt a field goal. Or if they do, it's a long, long, long field goal, and the likelihood of them missing it is a lot higher than it was if you allow a 10-yard run, which they did. The Chargers' run defense here is to blame, not Brandon Staley or the timeout. The timeout had zero impact on the decision-making of the Raiders. It was the fact they ripped off a 10-yard run where they were like, holy cow, let's take the field goal, let's win. And for the Raiders, it's a win-win. You kick the field goal, you win, you knock the Chargers out. You miss the field goal, guess what? The game's over, you're going to the playoffs. That was the best-case scenario for Daniel Carson because he was going to be the hero either way. That is the only time in his career if he misses the game-winning kick, the, uh, the Raiders are still going to the playoffs. So again, please, enough of the nonsense. Brandon Staley's timeout, zero impact on the game. Now, I don't want to make this all about Brandon Staley because the Raiders here deserve so much freaking credit. Rich Bisaccia and Derek Carr deserve praise and bouquets today because guess what? They are the two biggest reasons the Raiders are in the playoffs. You look at the adversity they had to face and overcome this season. I don't know if any two guys are leading the team or leading their team to the playoffs after facing what the Raiders had to face this year outside of Basachi and Carr. Because you look at the adversity, right? We know the John Gruden emails where he had to be fired. We know Henry Ruggs driving drunk and killing someone. Damon Arnett getting cut because he threatened someone on social media. 
The Raiders at one point were five and two, then slid to six and seven. They were written off. I wrote them off. I'll be honest, or wrote them off. I should say, excuse me, proper English. I didn't think the Raiders had a prayer to make the playoffs. And to their credit, they rattled off four wins in a row to make the playoffs. They never quit. Both Carr and Versace kept this team believing, kept this team, frankly, motivated. You know how easy it is to be deflated, to kind of just mail it in and fold up shop when you see all of these bad breaks going against you? Losing to the Giants. Having to lose your head coach and one of your best receivers on the season for extremely public I don't say tragedies because John Gruden's not a tragedy, but Henry Ruggs is a tragedy. But you know what I mean? Like just extremely public um, displays. You lose your head coach and your best receiver. That is deflating. So credit to Derek Carr for, again, never kind of giving in. Always coming and working hard, having his guys believe. That is insanely true leadership. That is leadership that you don't see from many quarterbacks. Sure, we can rag on Derek Carr for his play, and sometimes, you know, coming up small in the big moment, and again, time after time, the last few years, the Raiders get up to hot starts and they crumble down the finish. We can get on Derek Carr for that, and rightly so. But this year is all about Derek Carr's leadership and about Rich Passaccia's leadership. Coming in in an impossible situation, being a head coach for the first time in your career, not expecting, obviously, the circumstances happen where you do become head coach, and again, you have to deal with Henry Ruggs. You got to deal with your team now sitting at six and seven and losing all belief and still again having your team play well, sharp football to make the playoffs. Again, I think Rich Passaccia should be hired full time because the leadership he displayed is something that you rarely see from, from head coaches. To me, the job he has done is reminiscent of John Harbaugh with the Ravens or Mike Tomlin with the Steelers where they just continue to be great leaders, and their leadership, despite facing adversity after adversity after adversity, keeps this team afloat. They were able to keep the team together, Rich Passaccia was and Derek Carr was, to lead them through the rough patches and lead the Raiders to the playoffs for the first time since 2016, and really because of the injury, first time in Derek Carr's career. So I think both need to return in 2022 a tremendous Tremendous accomplishment for Las Vegas, and it was awesome for them to do it at home on the national stage in a game that was so back and forth. So I'm really happy for the Raiders. I really am. A little pissed, to be honest, I didn't go for the tie. I will, I, will, I will say it, you know, call it like I see it. But that was an incredible, incredible victory for Vegas. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey show on Twitter as well. Brandon Staley's timeout. You heard my thoughts. You heard Derek Carr talk about it. You heard Rich Passaccio talk about it. For me, it had zero impact on the decision-making of the Raiders. What about you? Do you think still Brandon Staley blew this game for the Chargers and he's the biggest reason why they are going home without the playoffs? And also, the Raiders, are they the best story in the NFL this year? I would say yes. The Titans are up there for sure. I would say the Raiders are the best story in the NFL. Do you agree? Love to hear your thoughts. Again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter. Tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio. Tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. At Ryan Hickey Show. All one word. All nice and easy. We'll get your thoughts. When we do return here, we will go from the good, the positive, that is the Raiders, to the downright horrible, putrid, 
that was the Indianapolis Colts yesterday. I gave you my reaction to what was a total gut punch. What was, to be honest, as a Colts fan, the worst loss I've ever experienced. We'll do that when we turn. It's Ryan Hickey right here on CBS, uh, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We will get to the Colts here in a little bit. I apologize. We'll do that next segment. We'll do it at 940 Eastern. But I do want to react to and get you caught up on some of the breaking news that is coming down this morning. Of course, it is Black Monday in the NFL, right? The first Monday after the regular season ends is when a lot of uh, heads roll when it comes to head coaching and GM uh, positions. And we do now have uh, the official fate on a few coaches as well. No surprise, right? We had Vic Fangio fired from the Broncos yesterday. That was official after the Broncos played on Saturday. This morning, two more head coaches, both in the AF or NFC North, excuse me, are out. The Bears have officially fired Matt Nagy, no surprise. And the Vikings have fired not only Mike Zimmer, but they have also fired general manager Rick Spielman. So let's go one by one here. Let's start with the Vikings. I think that's that was the one thing that was not exactly guaranteed, but I do think it's the right move. For me, the, the Vikings are stuck. Now you look at the Mike Zimmer tenure. You look at where they are in the landscape of the NFC. For me, they are a team that needed change. Sometimes change for change's sake is good. And I think that was the example here when it comes to the Vikings. Because you look at what Mike Zimmer now has coached. This team, I think it was as good it was gonna as it was going to get in 2017, right? They really had everything going there where they got a ton of breaks with Case Keenum and they went to the NFC Tower game at 13-3. and You bring Kirk Cousins's, uh, bring Kirk Cousins in. I'll be honest, I was sold that this team was going to the Super Bowl. Dead serious. You had a great team in 2017. You had Adam Thielen. You had Stephon Diggs. You had uh, Dalvin Cook was there. And I thought, you know what? This team was just an elite quarterback away from making a run. I thought Kirk Cousins was good enough. Not elite, not elite, but good enough to get this team to the Super Bowl. And as we know, this team has been disappointment after disappointment all season long. Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings made the playoffs just one time in his four years there. Another season where they were under 500. And again, when you look at this team for the Vikings, there's not a ton of moves they can make to make themselves better. Kirk Cousins is on a massive deal. He's getting $45 million next year. If it was me and I was in Minnesota, I would try to move on from Kirk. We know what he is. He's a known commodity. The issue is... You're going to have to either get you know pennies on the dollar in terms of trade return, or you have to eat a ton of his salary. So it's going to be hard to get a quarterback that's a big-time upgrade in Minnesota next year because whether you trade for, let's say, Kirk, uh, whether you trade for, let's say, Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, both of whom I think should have Minnesota on their list. I'll get to that in a second. But you look at Minnesota um, when they're trying to upgrade the quarterback position next year, there's not a ton of avenues where you can get a big-time elite quarterback in, like I said, a Russell Wilson or a um, Deshaun Watson, while also then trying to move on from Kirk because you're going to have to basically kind of do what the Rams did when they traded Jared Goff. You're going to have to give him away and really take a massive L on that trade. Wherever he's traded to, you have to eat a ton of salary or basically trade him for like a fifth-round pick because 
the salary and the player do not match up. So you, you cannot have both. Both acquire Kirk Cousins and give up a ton of you know draft capital and eat his big-time salary if you're another team taking on Kirk Cousins. So this team is stuck. And one of the only ways you can kind of get unstuck, get the most out of this roster, is by, I think, shaking it up either quarterback-wise or head coach-wise. I just explained why quarterback is going to be tough. I would still try to do it, but I think uh, quarterback's going to be tough. So the, the quickest way you do so is by changing the head coach. I think the Minnesota Vikings did the right thing. Because you look at this offense. Minnesota, I've said it before, Minnesota has a Super Bowl-caliber offense outside of the quarterback position. The roll line, sure, it's not elite, but it is pretty solid and it's good enough. Dalvin Cook, when he's healthy, which again, I know is not exactly the case every single year, but when he is healthy, he is a top five running back in the NFL. They have one of the best wide receiver duos in the league with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, who Justin Jefferson every single year, every single game, continues to get better and better. So you have the pieces in place in Minnesota to make a run to the Super Bowl. Like, tell me, tell me how I'm wrong. Again, take the quarterback out of it for a second. We look at the old line running back, receiver, and even tight end with Conklin as a solid tight end. You look at that grouping of skilled players and offensive line, that team is good enough to contend for Super Bowls, let alone forget just making the playoffs, which the, the Vikings have struggled with. So that's why for me, you, you move on from Mike Zimmer, you bring in an offensive mind that could truly get the most out of this offense. Like, you look at Minnesota this year, and I get, look, Kirk Cousins is what he is, right? I'm not trying to hype up Kirk Cousins at all because I am out on Kirk. But when you look at what this Vikings offense has done, this year they were 12th in total offense, 14th in scoring offense. you got to be better. You need to be higher than that when you have all this skill around you. And the Minnesota Vikings were not. So you bring in an offensive mind. Maybe bring in a guy like Jim Harbaugh. Doug Peterson. If he doesn't go to Jacksonville, which for me, I think it's a win-win for Jacksonville and Doug Peterson to go there. But if he doesn't go to the Jaguars to hire someone else, that's an attractive landing spot that I think um, he would go to and I think Minnesota should be interested in. So you go for Jim Harbaugh. You go for Doug Peterson. Maybe you go for Byron Leftwich or Brian Dayball or Eric Bieniemy. There is legitimate talent here where you have a lot to work with, where you bring just a little creativity to the offense. Minnesota should explode. So I think it's the right move to fire Mike Zimmer. And I think it's fascinating, too, by the way. We talked about Kirk Cousins and the toughness it is to trade him. I think if you're Kirk Cousins now, your clock is ticking with the firing of GM Rick Spielman. The Vikings now, I think, are serious about trying to make some moves. You fire the head coach of Mike Zimmer to, I think, try to get a short-term fix here and try to bring the Vikings back to playoff contention next year. I think by firing Rick Spielman, this does have now the possibility, or this increases the possibility of Kirk Cousins getting traded. Like I said, it's going to be tough, right? Because he has a $45 million salary, so you have to convince a team to either take on a lot of that salary, and to do so, you have to get a lower pick back, or you have to eat a ton of that salary to get, I don't know, let's say a first or second round pick back for Kirk Cousins, probably a second round pick. And you have to eat, you know, I don't know, $30 million of that $45 million salary. Oh, yeah, by the way, whatever quarterback you're trying to bring in, if you are big game hunting for, let's say, Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, that's a massive salary they're going to have to bring. So you're going to have a ton of money tied to the quarterback position next year, whether Kirk Cousins is there or not. But I do think now when you fire the GM and Rick Spielman, that opens up the door for a trade possibility. 
I mean, look, we saw what the Rams just did with Jared Goff, and they had to eat a lot of cap. We saw the Eagles, what they just did, eating a ton of cap space for Carson Wentz. I would say, going on a lane here, both the Rams and the Eagles would do that trade again if it was presented to them. They would eat the cap space. They would take on the dead cap to get a either better quarterback in there, like the Ramsey getting Matthew Stafford, or upgrading uh, and rising your backup quarterback in Jalen Hurts, letting him take over the reins. Both are playoff teams. Both are right now better off with their current quarterback than they were this time last year. So I think if you're Minnesota, that is the blueprint you got to go for. You got to do what Lesney did if you're the Rams and just find a way to get a talented quarterback in the door and find a way to have another team take on Kirk Cousins. And then bringing in a new GM will make that easier. So Minnesota, I think it's heading in the right direction. They fire Mike Zimmer. I think it's the right move. Fire Rick Spielman, which I'll be honest, I did not see coming. But I do think it's the right move, and I think that's important because now I think it really puts a clock on Kirk Cousins' time in Minnesota. He has one year left, so I think no matter what happens, he will be there uh, next year, be his final year in Minnesota. But I think now that raises the possibility of Kirk getting traded this offseason big time by Rick Spielman coming out and now bringing a new GM into Minnesota next year. So the, the Vikings make a move, Mike Zimmer out uh, and Rick Spielman out, and now the Chicago Bears finally make what was almost inevitable finally happen in reality. That is Matt Nagy being fired. And again, that is absolutely the right decision. Ian Rappaport, by the way, on both of those firings first. So we'll give him credit. Um, we're credits due. Matt Nagy's fired. And also tweeted out by just Tom Pelissero 14 seconds ago, they have also, the Bears have fired their general manager, Ryan Pace. So a total overhaul is coming in Minnesota. A total overhaul is also coming in Chicago. And it's the right move for both. And it's funny because both are in totally different circumstances. The, the Vikings are trying to become a playoff team right now. They are built to be a playoff team that has fallen short. The Bears, I think, are in, I don't say rebuild mode, but you kind of are in rebuild mode. Reboot, I guess we'll call it, because you have the quarterback. And I am glad for Chicago and Chicago Bears fans specifically because I thought it was a big mistake and kind of a joke that they brought both Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace back this year after barely getting to the playoffs, giving you no real hope for the future and giving you no plan. Like, that's the thing. No matter what quarterback they got, there wasn't much hope for the Bears offense. And honestly, I don't know about you, after the Bears were able to trade up and draft Justin Fields, I thought that was basically a pseudo-contract extension for both Pace and Nagy. I thought for sure, okay, they're going to have the young rookie quarterback. If you're Ryan Pace now, you got a quarterback Bears fans could be excited about. Are you really going to fire the GM that just drafted Justin Fields? And if you're Matt Nagy, you're going to use the excuse of, oh, he's young. I think that's the biggest reason why, by the way, Justin Fields didn't start the year. I think Matt Nagy was trying to save his job. And how you save your job is by selling hope to the fan base, selling hope to ownership, by not starting Justin Fields, playing Andy Dalton, and if I think he got his way, he wouldn't start Justin Fields till well into the second half of the season. I think if Andy Dalton didn't get hurt and played decently, I think Justin Fields would have seen the bench for almost three quarters of the year, and then you bring Justin Fields in the final five, four, five games of the year, have him play, sell hope to the fan base, and then you sell to the ownership, hey, Look, we saw some bright spots here going forward. I need to be his coach going forward. We do not want to basically, you know, start bringing all this turmoil and all this changing and have him learn a new offense right away. We want to be able to build and develop Justin Fields, and you do that with continuity. So I really did think, honestly, there was a point this year where Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, the only reason why they were starting Andy Dalton was to keep their jobs. 
And credit to Chicago, whether it's Ted Phillips, whether it's McCaskey family made this move, they saw through it and realized, you know what? We got the quarterback. Thanks, Ryan Pace, for making a trade-up. We got, you know, Justin Fields, but now it's time to get him a true offensive-minded head coach, and that's not Matt Nagy. Because the thing about Nagy is this. The reason why he's fired is not because he's a bad offensive coach or he's a bad leader. He is both of those. His biggest flaw, though, is his stubbornness. And I think that leads to bad coaching and leads to being a bad leader. He is a guy that refuses to adapt to the circumstances, refuses to adapt to the changing evolution of the NFL that is constantly happening in this COVID year on literally a day-by-day basis. Since Matt Nagy has gone to Chicago, he has run his offense his way. It didn't matter if Mitch Trubisky was quarterback, Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, or Justin Fields. All four of those quarterbacks, all different styles of play, but to Matt Nagy, it didn't matter. You got to fit into my offense. I don't care if you're a square peg. My offense is a round hole. You got to figure a way to fit in my offense. I'm not changing it to um, help your strengths. I'm running it how I want to run it. I'm comfortable calling these plays, so you got to figure it out. That was how the you know teams worked, in, and that's how um, the head coaches believed the offense was run in like 04. Nothing was ever changed. You run an NFL offense, right? They call it a pro-style offense. And every single team in the NFL, let's say 15 years ago, ran a pro-style offense. It didn't matter if you had, let's say, an Alex Smith, or it didn't matter if you had a Tim Tebow coming in. You are running a pro-style offense. Now, teams smartly woke up and realized, why are we forcing the quarterback to change to us? Why don't we change the quarterback? If they had success in college running this system, why don't we adopt that? And the smart teams, the smart head coaches, the adaptive head coaches change their system to highlight the strengths of their quarterback. Lamar Jackson doesn't have success in Baltimore if the Ravens decide we're going to run a pro-style offense. Lamar, you're going to be a drop-back passer, and they force him to be a drop-back passer. That's not Lamar's strengths. That's not Lamar's strength, I should say, right? He is a guy who uses his legs, who rolls out the pocket, who throws the ball. Sure, he's fine throwing the ball, but... It is predominantly a run-first offense, and they built an entire offense around the skills that Lamar Jackson does well. That is great head coaching. That is great coaching. Being adaptive to to the person I have, and that was the opposite of what Matt Nagy wanted to do. Mitch Trubisky, his strength was rolling out of the pocket, throwing on the run. Guess what Matt Nagy did? Put him in the pocket. You're not rolling out. Stay in there. Make the throws. He couldn't do it. Not that, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, make Mitch Trubisky out to be someone who was better than he is and was not given a fair shake. Mr. Trubisky's not a very good quarterback. I get that. But the reality is he wasn't really given a chance. He wasn't put in a position to succeed by his head coach. And you don't want that happening to Justin Fields again. And we saw Justin Fields' debut under the Browns. He sacked nine times. You figure maybe after sack three or four, when you see Jadavion Clowney and you see Miles Garrett and you see... Malik McDowell and every single defensive lineman for the Browns having a field day against your offensive line, maybe we'll, you know, run some different plays. Maybe we'll use an extra offensive lineman or use a running back to chip block or or give some protection help. Instead, no. They just fed Justin Fields to the Wolves. They almost got him killed. I was sitting here that Monday advocating for Justin Fields to get benched. Not because he stunk, because I was afraid this guy was going to die on the field for getting hit so much to ruin his confidence. Because that's how you really hurt a rookie quarterback, but just uh, rookie quarterback, but just having them get teed off on 
by a, a defense to, uh, time and time and time again. They lose confidence. They start all of a sudden developing bad habits. So good for the Bears for nipping that in the bud and not allowing bad habits to develop with Justin Fields. He is the future. I think Justin Fields is going to be a really damn good quarterback in the NFL. Wow. Wow. We have some big-time, big-time breaking news that just came out. Brian Flores is part of the firings. Holy cow. Brian Flores is fired. The Dolphins just put out a statement relieving Brian Flores of his head coaching duties. Holy cow. Here's what we'll do. We'll take a quick break. We will react to that next. Brian Flores is out of the Dolphins. We'll be back in two minutes to react to that news and keep you updated on the other head coaching moves. We do return Ryan Hickey right here on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Black Monday in the NFL, and I'll be honest, I did not think we would get many surprises today. Rick Spielman, I thought it was going to be the biggest shock of the day when he was fired by the Vikings. Also, Mike Zimmer is out. The Bears have also decided to fire both their head coach and GM, Matt Nagy, out. Uh, Ryan Pace, out. And I did not think we would be talking about this job being open, but it just came down 10 minutes ago. The Miami Dolphins have fired their head coach, Brian Flores. I think that is an awful, awful decision. I think it's a terrible decision by Miami, and I don't understand it. So let's just talk through because maybe you know more than me or you can have more reason than me. So please, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, tweeting WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. If you're watching on Twitter, it's super easy. Just write right there in the comment section. I can read your thoughts, and we'll get them read right on the air here. But I thought for sure. Brian Flores, the turnaround he was able to do where, sure, they lost seven in a row. They're sitting at one and seven. Things are looking bleak. Two is about to get traded. They're going to try for trade for Deshaun Watson. Brian Flores is, uh, is going to be fired. And to Miami's credit, two has started developing. The Dolphins won seven straight games to get to eight and seven and control their destiny to make the playoffs. After the Saints win, they held the seventh seed in the playoffs in the AFC. You could talk about the strength of schedule, and I get it, right? They didn't have many big wins. Sure, they beat the the Ravens, who were 8-3, number one in the AFC at the time. That was by far the most impressive win of that seven-game winning streak. Other than that, they played a lot of bad teams. I get it. But still, where the Dolphins were at 1-7, they couldn't beat anybody. They were struggling to beat you know, a high school team at that point. Two was looking lost. The defense was horrendous, especially the pass defense. They were terrible. But to Brian Flores' credit, to Tua's credit, they were able to, able to rebound midway through the year, and they pulled off an historic stretch where I believe their only team to lose seven in a row, then win seven in a row. So to Brian Flores' credit, if you are able to resurrect your team midway through a down year, for me, that is deserving of bringing, you know, getting brought back for one more year. Not to mention, 
When you look at the body of work he has done two years before this year. For, in 2019, right, he was first hired. Through seven games, the Dolphins were trending to be, no joke, no hyperbole here, the worst team in the NFL. Point differential, offense, defense, efficiency. They were going to be through seven games, or basically halfway through the 2019 season, one of the worst teams, if not statistically, the worst team in the NFL. To Brian Flores' credit, he had these guys fighting. He had them playing tough. And it's not like a Joe Judge where it's in the fourth quarter, they're down 30 to, 30 to 3, and they're still playing hard. This was a season to where they were playing hard and winning games. They beat the Patriots. They single-handedly, you can make the argument, sent Tom Brady packing from New England. That Week 17 game on the road in New England, as long as the Patriots beat the Dolphins, the Patriots were going to get the two seed. They're going to get the bye. Instead, Miami had other plans. They beat the Patriots. The Patriots, as we know, then become a wild card team, lose to the Titans at home the next week, and Brady goes to Tampa Bay. So you look at how this team was playing. They were playing hard and winning games. They overachieved at 5 11. That makes any sense. They overachieved that year. Sure, you miss out on Joe Burrow. You get to a tongue of You get the guy that the entire fan base was screaming all year. What? Tank for Tua. They get the guy. Last year, they go 10 and 6. You talk about overachieving. This team was not any good. They started Ryan Fitzpatrick. They tried to put Tua Tungavaloa in. We will not know it, and hopefully maybe someday the truth will come out. I don't think Brian Flores thought Tua was ready to play. I don't think the decision to start Tua after week six was made by Brian Flores himself. I think it was Chris Greer. I think even you can go even higher. It was Stephen Ross who said Tua's playing no matter what. We saw last year, and you can see it now this year, Tua was not ready last year. Health-wise, just you know, ready to adapt to the NFL game, Mechanics-wise, he was not ready to play last year, but they still forced him into the lineup. At times, you had to have him benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in. To Ryan Fitzpatrick's credit, even though he was upset about getting benched, he was still professional enough to come in a few times, save the day, right? Remember that great Raiders game on Saturday night where he came in and pulled off a miracle that the uh, Dolphins were able to win. Tua had a, a shaky... 2020 season, but they still were able to win 10 games. They still had a game week 17 where they got blown out by the Bills last year. I get it, but that was still a win and in scenario for Miami. They controlled their destiny. And this year, yes, you start off one and seven and you know what? Things were looking bad, but to Brian Flores' credit to rattle off seven games in a row, even though again, six of them were cupcakes and you played, um, the other one was the Ravens, which is the best win and a legitimate win at the time because the Ravens were still healthy. Lamar was still playing well. He was just lost. Flores had this team believing to where even though, again, it ended without a playoff um, win, and even though they lost and were embarrassed by the Titans last week that eliminated them from the playoffs, they were still, I think, going in the right direction. You had Tua progressing this season. It's starting to become more comfortable. We could talk about his completion percentage and throwing for a few yards. He was slow, though, starting to air the ball out deep. He had a great weapon in Jalen Waddle really start to emerge. He had zero run game to rely on this season. The offensive line, statistically, according to PFF, if you, you know subscribe to them and listen to what they say, they had the worst offensive line in the NFL this year. The worst. Two had no time. 
Part of the reason why he missed four games or three games with, with bruised and fractured ribs, which, by the way, he kept playing with the rest of the year, was because the offensive line gave him no time to, to, to think, no time to even plan. His feet he got crushed in the Bills game week two. It wasn't he just holding on to the ball too long? So for me, there were still positive signs going forward that Brian Flores was still a really good leader, could have his team ready to play. They needed to make changes on offense, yes. And you know what, to be honest? Brian Flores, the biggest weakness I would say for him is his offense, is his handling of the offense. Whether, again, I think personally Tua was out of his control last year. I don't think he wanted to play Tua and I think he was forced to. But that Tua situation last year was a mess. And now the offensive coordinator situation where you're far, well, Chen Gilly had retired or fired last year. And this year you make co-offensive coordinators. And then you had Charlie Fry, the quarterback coach, was the one talking into his headset. So you had three guys into his ear all season long on the offense, none of which are any good. So to Brian Flores' I guess, demise, the, the biggest criticism I think you can have Brian Flores was how he handled his offensive coordinator position. He basically had four through two years, and I think he's got to make another change going into next season. So you can get on, get on him for his hiring of the offensive coordinators, absolutely. But other than that, his leadership skills, I think, are worth bringing back. The way the team played defensively the second half of the season – I think was, you know, worthy of them bringing back. And not to mention, let's throw this out there. Deshaun Watson was interested in Miami for what reason? To play with Brian Flores. You, we just kind of talked about what this offense has. If you're Deshaun Watson, now I understand there's a lot of legal hoops to, to jump through, right? So there's no slam dunk he could even play the next year. There's no slam dunk he could even avoid jail, let's be honest. But if he is cleared, if the NFL allows him to play next season, even with a small suspension, we know right now the only team Deshaun Watson has approved on his no-trade list was the Dolphins. Why? Because he wanted to play with Brian Flores. He respected Brian Flores as the head coach. He liked his leadership. That was a guy Deshaun Watson wanted to play under. He was in uh, Houston, where Bill O'Brien tore that organization down, where Jack Easterby was lying and deceiving through the entire organization. Deshaun Watson left and wanted out of Houston, not because the team was bad, not because the O-line was bad, or that the fact that Bill O'Brien traded away any single and every good weapon Deshaun Watson had to throw to or hand the ball off to. He, prior, uh, mainly I should say, the main priority for Deshaun Watson leaving Houston was because of the lack of leadership. He was tired of the games being played. He was tired of the runaround and kind of the backstabbing that was going on within the entire organization. He wanted leadership. And guess what? Brian Flores was a guy he gravitated to. So guess what? Now that Brian Flores is fired in Miami, if you're Deshaun Watson, why are you now going to the Dolphins? Why do you want to be traded to the Dolphins? Their old line, I just told you, is the worst offensive line in the NFL. You went from a bad Offensive line in Houston to somehow a worse O-line in Miami if you're traded there next year. I like Jalen Waddell. He has really exploded on the scene and had a tremendous and historic rookie year. Outside of Jalen Waddell, who are you throwing the ball to on a consistent and reliant basis? I like Devontae Parker. He's a good receiver when healthy. The issue is he's not reliably healthy. Mike Yosicki is an athletic tight end, doesn't make a ton of plays. Albert Wilson is just you know a guy you can't trust. He had his guy, Will Fuller. From Houston and Miami, the only issue is Wilford can't stay off the drugs and, and he can't stay healthy either. Busted for PEDs last year 
and barely like I even remember the last time he played. Couldn't get on the field. He's a great deep threat, but he's fragile as glass. So there is nothing really that attracts you to Miami now if you order Sean Watson. And I don't understand why Stephen Ross decided to make the move to fire Brian Flores. This is the most confounding move of all of them. I don't get it. Vikings firing Mike Zimmer and Rick Spillman makes a ton of sense. Broncos firing Vic Fangio makes a ton of sense. The Bears cleaning house with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, ton of sense. The Dolphins firing Brian Flores makes zero sense. He had this team heading in the right direction. He's a good leader. I think after the first two years where this team overachieved, even though they missed the playoffs this year, they got hot late. That, to me, is enough to warrant bringing him back one more season. I think the first two years are enough to bring Brian Flores back for 2022 at the very minimum. And only not to mention, now by Brian, uh, firing Brian Flores, if you're in Miami, you lose the main reason why Deshaun Watson was interested in you. And now when you look at this team, if you're Deshaun Watson where you have a no-trade clause and you control where you're traded, Miami's off the list. Off the list. Off the line. Not great skill players outside of Jalen Waddell. Zero run game to rely on. You have a lot better destinations right now without Brian Flores there if you're Deshaun Watson and to go elsewhere. The Dolphins, I think, really messed this up. The Dolphins really screwed this up. And it's interesting, too, because if you look at what Jeff Darlington of ESPN reported, there is now a name being thrown out there, right? That's Jim Harbaugh. We, we floated his name out there just before for maybe the Minnesota Vikings job. It was rumored by Adam Schefter that there's a connection to, obviously, the Bears where he used to play. And there's a connection to the Raiders as well. Well, there was also maybe a connection for the Dolphins. And Jeff Darlington, uh, Jeff Darlington excuse me, of ESPN was reporting that the decision to fryer Brian Flores is not tied to Jim Harbaugh. He's saying the Dolphins are not targeting Jim Harbaugh. So the decision to fire Brian Flores wasn't to hire Jim Harbaugh. It was on its own independent. Which again to me makes zero, zero sense. Someone who's smart, someone with a brain has got to explain to me why Brian Flores was fired today. Because I don't get it. It makes zero, zero sense. That's an awful move by an organization that, to me, set themselves back. Absolutely set themselves back. So love to hear your thoughts. Brian Flores so far, surprisingly, out in Miami. Mike Zimmer, predictably, out in Minnesota. Matt Nagy, also out in Chicago. Who else deserves to be fired? Rich Passaccia, does he deserve to come back in 2022? Or should the Raiders get a new head coach? How about the future of Joe Judge? We still have not heard what his future has been decided yet. Pete Carroll, I think, is still... A, a likelihood to not be returning in um, in 2022. We will see that. We will keep you updated on that as well. So we will um, keep you updated on all the head coaching hirings. When we do return here on the Ryan Key Show, we will circle back to the Indianapolis Colts. Worst game uh, of Week 18, the biggest and most disappointing performance for sure. Do the Colts have a Carson Wentz problem? We'll discuss that when we return. It's the Reineke Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh my God, oh my God, this feeling's just begun. 
A wild Sunday in the NFL yesterday. Week 18 going down to the wire, as we know. Staying up late if you're on the East Coast to watch an insane Raiders and Chargers, uh, Chargers game. And just when you think everyone rooting for a tie last night, that was the most bizarre and craziest the NFL ever being. We have Black Monday, and there is some big-time changes being made. Again, some aren't too surprising. Matt Nagy fired, Mike Zimmer fired, Rick Spielman, the GM of the Vikings. A little surprising, but he's fired. Makes sense. Ryan Pace, not too surprising. He's fired from Chicago. The big stunner so far this morning is Vic Fangio also fired from, from Denver on Sunday before any games are played. The big stunner, though, the wheels circle back to in 15 minutes here on the Ryan Hickey Show was Brian Flores being fired. Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins, who, again, they did lose seven in a row at one point to go to 1-7. They fired Brian Flores despite the fact that he also um, was able to lead the Dolphins to seven consecutive victories. So the fact that they overachieved in year one despite being 5-11, despite the fact they were 10-6 and last year, and... Um, and just missed the playoffs, but showed progress and overachieved. And now, despite the fact that, yes, they got off to a 1-7 and seven start, they did come back and at one point were in the playoff picture. They have decided to fire Brian Flores. And just as importantly, maybe even most importantly, fired their golden ticket, if you will, to Deshaun Watson. Fired him. Now, if you're Deshaun Watson, you're looking at Miami and you go, oh, oh. Why on earth would I want to go there? There is no reason to want to go to the Dolphins. So I do not get it. Again, if you have any explanation, any justification for the Brian Flores firing, please, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Let me know. I need answers because I do not get it. So again, we'll circle back to that in 20 minutes from now. We'll continue to keep you updated. We are still waiting the fate of Joe Judge. We are still waiting the fate of Pete Carroll, David Culley. There are still names out there that we need to know the fates of. Rich Passaccio, which maybe we'll probably wait until after the season. He just made the playoffs, so then you're not going to announce a contract extension now. I think Passaccio should be extended, but we again, we'll keep you updated on uh, Black Monday and the other happenings that are going around the NFL. But I do want to hit on here, as a reminder, by the way, we are coming to you uh, live at 10 o'clock hour, always sponsored by LC Design. So make sure charcuterie boards, uh, or I should say charcuterie boards. I got to read this right. My apologies. Sorry, Lauren. Charcuterie boards are perked for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com. LCDesignsNYC.com for more information. Let's go to what was the worst loss I've ever experienced in my Colts life. One of the most depressed, shocked, actually, flabbergasted I've ever been. And that was the Colts losing to the Jaguars yesterday and getting sent home at 9-8. and eight. Yesterday, unfortunately, proved one thing to me. The Colts need a leader at the quarterback position, and they don't have it with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, to me, has the talent. It's a roller coaster, don't get me wrong, but when he is at his peak, he is the talent, the talent, to be a top five, seven quarterback in the NFL. He, when things are going good, he can reach that level. But as we know, consistency is absolutely not there. It's a roller coaster ride, or even throughout the game, he'll have one really good quarter, one really bad quarter in the same game. It is absolutely, excuse me, just like that. Although we do mostly do bad work here and rarely anything good. But it is 
highs are high, the lows are extremely low. But the the frustrating part, I think the revealing part of these last two weeks where the Colts had to just beat either the Raiders or the Jaguars there in the playoffs, and the Colts lost both. I think what was revealed uh, is that with Carson Wentz, when the going gets tough, you'd want your quarterback and you want the tough to get going. Instead, Carson Wentz has crumbled under the pressure. He has been the reason now why the Colts have lost two games in a row. And you want your franchise quarterback to be the reason to kind of save you at times. And he has been unable to do that. Last year, unfortunately, he quit in Philly, as we know, at the end of the year. I thought that was more on Philly than Carson Wentz. And these last two weeks have really revealed itself to be, you know what? That's a Carson Wentz issue. Because even yesterday, it was a total meltdown. And that's not what you want from a franchise quarterback. And the biggest key element missing here is leadership. See, that's what really went wrong yesterday. Now, before we get to Carson Wentz, I want to expand on it more. Let's call for what it is. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong yesterday for the Colts. Carson Wentz is not the only person to blame yesterday. The entire team was bad. Wentz is awful, but so was the entire team. You had one of the best offensive lines, maybe the best offensive lineman fully healthy in the NFL, get totally bullied yesterday. They played their by far their worst game of the season. They played their worst game that this collective group, the core, has been together ever in their careers. This was embarrassing, the way the offensive line was just mauled yesterday. Allowed six sacks. Now, some of that's on Carson Wentz, but still allowed six sacks. There's pressure on Carson Wentz all game long. They opened up zero running lanes for Jonathan Taylor, who just had 77 yards. And it's honestly kind of a miracle he had 77 yards because I feel like anytime they ran the ball, it was two yards, and that's it. The Jaguars were pushing the offensive line of the Colts back all game long, and they were fully healthy. The, the Colts, when they played a few weeks ago on Christmas night, they had four backups playing in the game. They blocked better in that game than they did yesterday fully healthy. That's a big-time issue. You cannot allow that to happen, and they absolutely did. The receivers gave Carson Wentz no help either. They created zero separation all game long. Again, the Jaguars, the Patriots last week hung a 50 spot, 50 points on the Jaguars' defense, and the Colts mustered up 11. Three points really wouldn't have mattered through the first three and a half quarters. Three points. And Parker's receivers, zero separation. Michael Pittman has a, has a, a big key drop. You don't put on Carson Wentz, put the ball a little high. But that almost led to a pick. Really should have been picked, and it wasn't. The receivers gave zero help to the offense at all. The defensive line, I don't think even showed up. Trevor Lawrence yesterday looked like he was playing in a 7-on-7 drill, where all it is is there's no pass rush, and it's just, you know, skill guys against defensive backs and linebackers. Receivers, tight ends, running backs versus linebackers and defensive backs. That's what a 7-on-7 seven seven drill is, and that's what it looked like Trevor Lawrence was playing yesterday. He, I don't think, got touched one time. He had all the time in the world to sit back there and pick the Colts secondary part. So you wonder why Trevor Lawrence played the best game of his career yesterday. It's because he actually had time to throw the ball all season long. The O-line stunk. And yesterday, Trevor Lawrence had all the time in the world. He had breathed. He couldn't, you know... Brew a cup of coffee, sit back there, take a sip, still look down the field, still find someone wide open. Secondary is torched, again, in part because there was no pass rush, but also in part they just couldn't cover anyone. Kenny Moore, Pro Bowl corner for the Colts, their best secondary member and the most reliable guy in the secondary all season long, was totally burnt. Had his worst game of his career. Couldn't stop anyone. Speaking of not stopping anyone, couldn't get off the field. Jaguars were 7 of 15 on third down, 1 of 1 on fourth down. So basically converting half. 8 out of 16 on 3rd and 4th down. 
That is concerning. Again, against one of the worst, if not the worst, team in the NFL in the Jacksonville Jaguars, who did, I guess, technically secure the number one overall pick yesterday. So they are officially the worst team in the NFL. And the Colts made them look like, you know, the, the 84 uh, 49ers. West Coast offense. Joe, Joe Montana, I think it was under center last night for the Jaguars. It was horrible. And even, even call out Frank Reich, which he deserves uh, uh, criticism for as well. The Colts came out flat yesterday. They had no juice. This is a playoff game. I get you're playing the Jaguars. This is a team where you have not won in Jacksonville since 2014. This is a playoff game. I don't care if it's against the Jaguars. It's still the regular season. This was a playoff game because if you win, you're in. If you lose, you go home. And they came out flat yesterday. No energy, no juice, no one's flying around, no one's trying to wake the team up, no one is showing any emotion. The Colts are getting their ass kicked. And then the first quarter, and the second quarter, and the third quarter, and the fourth quarter, and no one is saying boo. No one is trying to rattle the team, wake them up, get them fired up, and get them going here. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing on every single level. But again, it goes now back to the quarterback. Because speaking of that last point, when you have zero juice, when you have no energy, that is where you need your franchise quarterback to rise up and take control. All season long, the Colts have not asked Carson Wentz to, to carry them. But they've had Jonathan Taylor run the ball really well. They've had the offensive line open up gaping holes and give you know Wentz time to throw the ball. At times, the defense has stepped up to make game-saving plays. All season long, for the most part, it has been everyone but the quarterback. Wentz, for the most part, maybe outside of the Cardinals game, we had a pretty bad three quarters and woke up in the fourth quarter. The Colts have not asked him to carry him. They have had everyone else do the heavy lifting. And yesterday was an was a game, was an opportunity where you needed your franchise quarterback to step up and say, guys, we are not losing this game. Sure, the defense is struggling right now, but offensively, we are going to move the ball. We are not losing to the Jaguars. We are not allowing this golden opportunity to slip by us. And instead, Wentz only just fanned the flames. He made things worse. In a game where you needed your franchise quarterback against the two, or at that time, two and 14, Jacksonville Jaguars, you needed your franchise quarterback to make a play. Throw a ball on third down. Make a great, you know, have a great drive to lead to a touchdown. Do anything to get this team going. And instead, all he did was just perpetuate the situation. Had just 185 yards passing. He had one pick. It should have been two. And the most frustrating part about that point is he threw a ball, overthrew Michael Pittman. Maybe he should have caught it. It was close, but it's still a better throw where Michael Pittman was open. Should have threw it more accurate and lead him in stride. It said the ball shouldn't pick the defensive back, you know, trapped it where he should have had it. Defense gets a three and out. And you think, okay, it's still only 16 to three. The Colts, again, are still one touch away from kind of flipping the game and you're waiting for them to wake up. After you catch a break where the pick is not caught, where the defense forces a three and out right after that, you need a drive. You need your quarterback to step up and say, guys, I got this. Jonathan Taylor is not running the ball really well. The offense line's not blocking really well. Don't worry. I'll be the reason now why we go down and score a touchdown. And instead, the first play, he throws an awful, awful interception. Sometimes, you know, if you're watching the game, as soon as you the quarterback throws the ball, you know, oh, no. No, no, no. That's picked. That's exactly what happened. As soon as Wentz threw the ball, you see the defender 
I mean, it looked like the defender was the, the main target. Went to find the numbers. Great throw. Except it's the other team. That right there shows you that, that game was over. When you needed your leader to step up the most, he shrunk. He only made things from bad to worse. And that, to me, is not the makings of a franchise quarterback. The Colts have an issue. The Colts have a big-time issue. You have your quote-unquote franchise guy, which you gave up a first-round pick for. Throw an awful interception that should have been two. Hold on to the ball too long. He's missing open receivers. He's confused by the coverage. He had the worst game this season against the worst team on the schedule at the worst possible time. I'll be honest, last week... I gave the Colts of Carson Wentz a pass. Wentz missed all week of practice. He was on the COVID list. He was cleared you know, just before the game on Sunday in order to play in the game. The Colts had two emotional victories in a row, that Saturday night game against the Patriots and the following Saturday night against the Cardinals. So usually when you have two almost draining victories, you think, okay, a letdown is coming. And I'll be honest, hand up, I was wrong. I thought last week their loss to the Raiders almost was, was going to serve as a positive more than a negative. Almost kind of serve as a reset and a wake-up call that realized, hey, we're not as good as we think we are. We still need to play hard, focus on the small details, and not just kind of keep on rolling during this hot streak. I really thought that they lost to the Raiders who wake this team up. And instead, yesterday, they, they look even worse than they did last week somehow. Again, against the Jaguars with a chance to get into the playoffs. So if you're the Colts, the tough part for them is there's not many upgrades over Carson Wentz out there. Obviously. The obvious ones, Aaron Rodgers, you do whatever it takes. Russell Wilson, you do whatever it takes. I'd throw Deshaun Watson in there. There's zero chance of that happening being in division, but I would do whatever it takes. But reality is, it's probably not going to happen. The Colts do not have a first-round pick this year. It belongs to the Eagles. So if you are the Seahawks and you end up trading Russell Wilson, if you're the Packers and you do end up trading Aaron Rodgers, you would want, right, a pick this year. You would want some immediate return on that trade instead of waiting a year for the picks to kick in. So if you're the Colts, you are already behind the eight ball because you don't have a first-round pick to offer this year to the Seahawks, to the Packers. And when you look at talent-wise, there's not many upgrades in terms of getting quarterbacks that are better than Carson Wentz. Kirk Cousins, no, I'd rather keep Carson Wentz. Now, I will say, Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy I'm interested in. Jimmy G is less talent than Carson Wentz, but he has what this team needs. He's a leader. He's a guy who looks down the barrel and says, let's go. Doesn't flinch, stays cool. You look at the season. I want to shout out Jimmy G next when we return here. But Jimmy G had one of the most impressive seasons of any quarterback this year. And has nothing to do with the stats and even nothing to do with the 49ers making the playoffs. He has responded to adversity all season long, and when you look at what happened yesterday to the Colts, honestly, I w- was wrong in my evaluation of kind of always looking at the talent and just being in love with the talent and figuring everything else out later. The most important quality for a quarterback is leadership. Because when the going gets tough, you need your quarterback, no matter the skill level, no matter the opponent, to step up and lead your team to victory. And yesterday, Carson Wentz folded. You can't have that. You can't truly rely on a quarterback in the biggest game of the season against the worst opponent on your schedule to lay a fat egg. It's not just him. Again, the entire team was terrible. Every single player, 
every single coach deserves a lot of blame for what happened yesterday. So I wish it was only on Carson Wentz. Honestly, that would make this offseason even better. Or even easier, I should say. I think it would motivate a guy like Chris Ballard to make a move easier because you see, all right, the rest of the team is there. It's just a quarterback, and we've tried for Carson Wentz. We swung a miss, but let's get someone else in here. The frustrating part is when every other person stinks yesterday. It makes evaluating the future that much harder. So I do think the Colts have a Carson Wentz problem. They have a leadership problem. The issue is there's not many upgrades. The, the Colts and the Browns are kind of one and the same. You want changes, except when you truly look who's out there, there are not many upgrades available that are better than your current options. I think the Colts, similar to the Browns right now, are stuck. They're stuck. Like I said, I would do Jimmy G. I would take him. I don't know if the Colts feel the same way. But other than that, there's not a quarterback out there I look at and say, yeah, that's who the Colts should get. Obviously, outside of Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, who I think are unlikely, and just because the Colts don't have the draft capital, missing their first-round pick this year, that will land them a guy like that. So I think the Colts are in big, big trouble going to this offseason, and they really, really make myself look like an idiot. Believing in this team two weeks ago, thinking they had the best shot to beat the Chiefs. Said it multiple times. And uh, now they don't even get that chance. We will never find out because Colts are at home playing golf and the Chiefs, like other teams, are playing in the postseason. So when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, I do want to give Jimmy G credit. I do want to give him a lot of credit because I think, you know what? Yesterday showed you really what, um, what Jimmy G is made of. And sometimes for quarterbacks, it's not about the talent. It's about the leadership. So we'll get into that when we do return here. Again, we'll also keep you updated on all the uh, hirings, or really firings, in the NFL. Brian Flores, the big shocker so far, fired from the Dolphins. We'll continue to keep you updated on Black Monday, who's back, who's not, when the Ryan Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll circle back to the mind-blowing firing of the Dolphins, uh, or should say mind-blowing firing of Brian Flores by the Dolphins. There's one other aspect to me that doesn't make much sense that I want to circle back on. We'll do that again 15 minutes or so from now. We'll also keep you updated again. It is a crazy Monday here. More coaching decisions expected to be made. So, of course, we'll keep you updated on all of the latest news so far as if you're just tuning in. So far, we have Vic Fangio obviously was fired on Sunday by the Broncos. The Bears this morning have fired both their head coach, Matt Nagy, and general manager, Ryan Pace. The Vikings have done the same with their GM and head coach, Mike Zimmer, out, Rick Spielman, out. And the big shocker this morning is the Dolphins firing Brian Flores um, after, uh, yeah, because he was uh, fired after a 9-8 and season for Miami, but three years, not good enough for Stephen Ross, the owner. He moves on from Brian Flores. So we'll circle back to that again. Keep you updated. Joe Judge's fate, we do not know about. Some other head coaches as well. David Culley, we do not know about as well. We'll keep you updated on all of the craziness that is going on today in the NFL. I do want to give a hat tip. I do want to give props to a guy that has really faced a lot of scrutiny this year that I think 
has had one of the most impressive seasons of any quarterback this year. That's Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo statistically is not going to blow anyone away. Jimmy Garoppolo athletically is not going to blow anyone away. We're never going to compare him to Patrick Holmes or Justin Herbert or be in awe of his play like we are with those quarterbacks. But Jimmy G had one of the most impressive seasons this year because of his leadership and what he was able to persevere through. Like, I just talked about Carson Wentz, and the biggest flaw of him is his lack of leadership, and it showed up the last two weeks of the Colts where you win one of the two games, and he failed in both, and he just flat-out stunk in both games. You need, when the going gets tough, the tough to get going. That starts with their quarterback. You need your quarterback sometimes to look down the barrel and say, you know what, screw it, we're going to win, I got this. I'm the guy, we're going to do it. And Jimmy G has done that all season long, and it's led to a playoff Birth for the 49ers. Jimmy G's a guy. If you have a quarterback opening this offseason, your team better be pursuing. Your team better be interested in. Because obviously, everyone wants Aaron Rodgers. Everyone wants Russell Wilson. And everyone wants a Sean Watson. So the odds of your team getting him are very low. And that's assuming all three are traded. Obviously, Deshaun Watson has legal issues. He has to work through first before he's allowed to be on the field and get traded. So if that goes sideways or south, he's out. Russell Wilson, I think, is definitely going to get traded, but we'll see what happens with the leadership in in Seattle. Um, And for Aaron Rodgers, there's a growing sense. I'm not part of this, but there's a growing sense that he could now end up staying in Green Bay and finish his career as a Packer, which removes him. So now if you are a quarterback or a team that's in need of a quarterback, Jimmy G better be at the top of your list because he all season long was able to gut through adversity that most quarterbacks would crumble under. Like, look at what he overcame this year to get the 49ers to the playoffs. He was the starting quarterback of a team that went to the Super Bowl two years ago. Last year, everyone was hurt, and the 49ers had a down year. This year, the 49ers decided, Jimmy G is not our guy. We need someone that can take us to the next level. They traded up two first-round picks to draft Trey Lance. There was no even guarantee Jimmy G was going to be on the roster to start the year with the 49ers. Then, when it was appeared that they were not going to trade Jimmy G, there was no guarantee he was going to be the starting quarterback week one. So you just two years ago led the team to the Super Bowl, and now they draft your replacement. There's no guarantee you're going to start, and now you're also kind of forced to kind of mentor Trey Lance as well and get him groomed to take over your job. They got off to a rough start in which they were 3-5, and five, had a four-game losing streak. And once they ride the ship, once they were getting hot... In that Titans game on Thursday Night Football, excuse me, close out the season, Jimmy G tore a ligament in his right thumb, his throwing hand. He missed last week's game against Trey Lance. I thought Trey Lance should have started yesterday, to be completely honest. Sat here and told you. It is, you know, over for Jimmy G. Start Trey Lance in a, in a basically what is amounts to a playoff game. Have him get that experience in the second half last week against the um, Texans. Trey Lance showed you some growth, showed you some positive developments to where I thought it was enough to warrant starting him and kind of start the future now. Get him playing in some big-time games now. Well, Kyle Shannon did not do that. Jimmy G came back after missing a game. And even yesterday, talk about overcoming adversity. Talk about being a true leader of men. You're down 17-0 right before the half yesterday to the Rams on the road. with Basically, what amounts to a playoff game. You know how many teams are folding? Look at the Colts when they played against the Jaguars yesterday. The Jaguars, they folded. 
You're playing against one of the best teams in the NFL in the Rams who are motivated to win the game because they still have the NFC West title on the line and they want to get that two seed to get two home playoff games. You had every reason to fold up shop and say, you know what, guys, we made a good run, valiant effort. We just didn't have enough. The Rams are just too good. We're, we're going to be on the outside looking. It's 17-0. The offense was horrible for, 40, uh, for San Francisco. And Jimmy G, to his credit, does what I think a franchise quarterback does. Does what a true leader does. Didn't panic. Led his team down, and that third quarter is where the entire game flipped. Look at the game between the two quarterbacks. I'm a Matthew Stafford guy. I love Matthew Stafford. I'm a believer in him, and I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl in the preseason because of Matthew Stafford's talent. We saw in that game yesterday, in the second half, Matthew Stafford panicked. The moment got to him in the middle of the game. He's throwing a bad interception. He's only adding fuel to the fire of the 49ers. Come back down to Matthew Stafford's credit. He was able to lead the 49 or the Rams down the field to what was then get the go-ahead touchdown drive. So you have 24-17. But now if you're Jimmy G, season on the line. Well, you know, less than two minutes left, you're down by a touchdown. You need this to keep your season alive. He calmly drives 88 yards down the field, just a minute, one second, to lead the game-tying touchdown drive. Then in overtime, keep it going to leave your team or lead your team down a field goal range where Robbie Gold hit the eventual game-winning field goal. That is big-time play from Jimmy Garoppolo, which again, he is not the most talented quarterback in the NFL. He's never going to wire with his arm strength. He has injury issues. But he has the intangibles that any team that's a quarterback away from contention should want. Like, I'm a Colts fan. We just talked about it before. The Colts have a really good offensive line. They have a really good running back in Jonathan Taylor. They have solid skill options. I think their defense is really solid for the most part. They are, to me, a quarterback away from being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. If you have Jimmy G, who talent-wise is not going to you know, wow you, he's not going to go in a shootout, deal with Patrick Holmes, and go toe-to-toe with Justin Herbert and play the way those guys do. But he has the stones. He has the leadership where if you are just a quarterback away, that's a guy you want leading your team. Doesn't panic in the big moment. Cool under pressure. Again, two minutes left to go, in a, or a minute 30 left to go with your season on the line. He threw the 49ers to tie the game. They're a run-first team, right? We know that. They're not reliant on Jimmy G to throw the ball 45 times a game to win the game. But when they need Jimmy G to lead a tying drive, he can do it. If you're a team like the Steelers, you absolutely should be interested. If you're a hell of a team like the, the Saints or even the Vikings, that's a guy you should be pursuing. He's a guy that can lead you and play well in the big moment. You can have all the talent in the world. You can be a Carson Wentz. You can be a Matthew Stafford. But if you let the moment get to you, if you feel the pressure and all of a sudden start to crumble, your talent is meaningless. Meaningless. Because if you can't play well in the big moment, you're useless. What you do in the first three quarters, what you do in the first three quarters of the season, doesn't matter if you can't get the job done in the big moment. I know Jimmy G had the big overthrow in the Super Bowl. I get it. But drives like yesterday, drives like that Sunday or that Thursday night game against the, the Titans, where he played, you know, started off really hot, played awful in the second and third quarter, 
But the fourth quarter, down by seven, needed a touchdown to keep the game going. What did Jimmy G do? Lead the 49ers down the field for a touchdown. He shook off the fact that he had two of the worst quarters of his career and was able to find a way to keep the game going. Obviously, as we know, Ryan Tannehill leads the Titans down to keep the game in a field goal. But the last time Jimmy G was on the field, he led this team down. There needs to be more respect on Jimmy Garoppolo's name. I'm, I'm being dead serious. He does not get the respect he deserves, in part because we see a guy like him and realize, oh, he doesn't have the elite arm strength. He is not athletic by any stretch of the imagination. He is immobile and injury-prone. But this is a guy who has guts. This is a guy who, in the big moment, rises up the most he absolutely can, and that's a quality I want on my team. That is absolutely a guy that, like I said, if you can't get Aaron Rodgers, if you can't get Russell Wilson, if you can't get Deshaun Watson, that's a guy I am calling for. That's a guy I'm trying to land and make a deal for. If you're the 49ers, you got to be fired up because now the trade value has never been higher for Jimmy Garoppolo. You could have given away the draft last year, and now you are going to get a bidding war started on Jimmy Garoppolo and well-deserved. Jimmy G impressed me arguably more than any quarterback this year, more than Tom Brady, who at 44 years old led the NFL in passing yards and passing touchdowns, more than Aaron Rodgers, who's going to win his second consecutive MVP award. What Jimmy Garoppolo had to overcome both on the field and off the field to lead this 49ers team to the playoffs is, again, something that not many quarterbacks are made of. Town-wise, he's not there. Athletic-wise, he's not there. Leadership-wise, calm under pressure-wise, he's there. That's a quality you can't overlook, and that's a quality you can't find in every quarterback. That's a guy I would absolutely ride with if he was my quarterback. So I'm curious your thoughts here. What what are your thoughts on Jimmy Garoppolo? Are you a believer? If you were the Steelers or the Colts or the Saints or even the Vikings, you have a quarterback opening, the football team, the Washington football team. Is Jimmy Garoppolo a guy you seriously want on your roster? Just what, what he was able to accomplish this year. Leading the 49ers to the playoffs. Overcoming the fact that the, the team that he led to the Super Bowl two years ago drafted his replacement. Did so in an extremely public fashion. He had to answer questions all season long about his future, about whether he was going to start. Remember, once Trey Lance was drafted, there was it was very hush-hush. The 49ers didn't want to tell you what they were going to do. Every day, Jimmy Garoppolo was asked, are you going to be the starting quarterback? He didn't know. There were times early in the year where Trey Lance would come in at, at, you know, at, for certain packages and, and run a few plays. In the end, Jimmy Garoppolo was able to lead his team to the playoffs. That leadership is something I want on my team. So love to get your thoughts on Jimmy G. Again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts when we do return here. The, the firing of Brian Flores to me makes zero sense. Zero sense. But there's one aspect to me that makes it even more confusing. We'll tell you what that is. Who is staying in Miami, that I don't understand. We'll do that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hey, welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Going to the top of the hour here. 
Honestly, I thought a lot of today would be about the Colts, the Raiders, the Chargers, and it has been mostly a, a firing show here uh, on Black Monday in the NFL with the most confounding, the most confusing firing of the day coming down in Miami with Brian Flores being relieved of his duties after three seasons. Um, to me, it makes zero sense. Brian Flores, by the way, had a winning record two out of the three years in Miami after some very lean years beforehand. But there's this, to me, move makes zero sense. We've discussed that. I'll circle back to my thoughts in a second here. But the reason why it's even more confusing is because not only is Brian Flores fired, Chris Greer, the general manager, is retained. So if you look at this roster, you look at this team, how can you blame that head coach for two winning records in three years? Now, they didn't make the playoffs, but two winning records in three years. You blame the coach for maybe not getting the most out of this roster, but you don't blame the GM for swinging and missing on so many of these draft picks that have left the, the Dolphins in not a really desirable spot. Like, Stephen Ross is, is talking today. He's doing his press conference actually right now as we speak. He claims that the quarterback has nothing to do with Brian Flores getting fired. Claims that he still has faith in Tua, still believes in Tua. The reality is, Chris Greer, hindsight or not, chose Tua Tungvaloa over Justin Herbert. I'm a Tua guy. I think Tua will be, become a good quarterback. The reality is, though, if I asked you right now, would you rather have Tua or Justin Herbert? Everyone with a brain is taking Justin Herbert right now, and rightfully so. So you have a head coach who seemingly right, isn't the one who makes the, the, the uh, quarterback choice. It is the general manager. Chris Greer swung a miss on, on drafting Tua over Justin Herbert. He has, Chris Greer has, managed to construct the worst offensive line in the NFL. That's not hyperbole. This offensive line is garbage. Garbage. And they have put a lot of assets into the O-line. Draft picks, trades, free agent signings. They have tried now for two years to build this offensive lineup to make it a decent O-line, to get some protection, to have whoever is back there. Whether it's Jacoby Brissett, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, or obviously whether it's mostly Tua Tagovailoa, they try to build an O-line that could give them any modicum of time to have success, and they have failed miserably. So you now have the GM make the wrong quarterback decision in Tua over Justin Herbert, have had him construct the worst offensive line in the NFL. To his credit, he got Jalen Waddell right. That is the right move. You got Jalen Waddell. Uh, congratulations. You also have swung a miss on every other skill position there, whether it's on the draft or free agency. You signed Will Fuller. Will Fuller played, what, three games this year? Baylor was able to play. Shocker. He couldn't get on the field. He's had injury issues all of his career, and they thought, oh, let's bring him in. He'll be fine. Couldn't get on the field. I like Devontae Parker. He's also injury prone. Albert Wilson, waste. The running backs. Duke Johnson was the best running back the Dolphins had this year, and he was brought in late in the year. Late in the year. Anyone they draft, anyone they sign the free agency has been a bust. So you have Chris Greer right now swinging and missing on basically every every position on the offense outside of Jalen Watt. And he's able to retain his job. How does that make any sense? Somebody make it make sense for me. And only not to mention, now, if you're the Dolphins, you fire your golden ticket to getting Deshaun Watson. Let's call for what it is, right? Deshaun Watson right now, we, he, we know the only team Deshaun Watson has publicly accepted a trade or, or waived his no trade clause, I should say, to, is the Dolphins. 
He wanted to play in Miami, not because of the weather, not because of Chris Greer, or because of the great defense or the great offense, psych, that they have in, in Miami. He wanted to play in Miami because of Brian Flores specifically. That was the driving force for Deshaun Watson wanting to go to Miami was Brian Flores. And now you fire the one guy who was most likely going to allow Deshaun Watson or, or motivate, entice Deshaun Watson to go to Miami. You fire the one guy. So if you look at this team, worst O-line in the NFL, no great skill players outside of Jalen Waddle, zero run game to rely on. Um, and now you, you, if you're Deshaun Watson, why the hell would you want to go to Miami? You fire the one guy, the leader, the leadership that Deshaun Watson is craving, you fire. So I don't care who you bring in. I don't see how that head coach is going to persuade still Deshaun Watson to want to come to Miami. So whether he's cleared or not and is able to get traded, I don't think it's going to be to the Dolphins now. And the Dolphins screwed that up royally. Screwed it up. And it's also ironic because now, you know, Brian, uh, Brian Gross tweets, uh, he thinks it's also a terrible move. He agrees, but he thinks maybe that Jim Harbaugh is the target. Now, this is important to, to realize. Stephen Ross, the owner, Stephen Ross, the owner, is a Michigan alum. He's a Michigan man. Obviously, as we know, Jim Harbaugh is a Michigan man. Well, today, again, as the press conference is going on live, Stephen Ross is speaking as, you know, right now. He was asked about Jim Harbaugh. He said that he is not going to be the one to take Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan. So it appears, as a Michigan alum and a Michigan fan, Stephen Ross would rather have Jim Harbaugh coach Michigan, his alum, uh, his alma mater, Stick with the Wolverines, then try to pry him to come down to Miami. So it appears Jim Harbaugh is not going to be a target for the Dolphins. At least that's what they're saying right now. So who are you bringing in? What is your big plan here that's going to revamp this Dolphins team that, again, is bereft of talent of almost every single place on the offense? Who is coming in? But also, why does it make any sense as you go into another draft as you go into another free agency to employ a general manager that has swung and missed on every big time decision. Someone make it make sense. It is stupid. It is honestly moronic. The Miami Dolphins are a total, total clown show today. It's embarrassing. There's no direction. Stephen Ross is driving this team into the ground. And he now, his decision to fire Brian Flores, keep Chris Greer, and have no real semblance of a plan right now is idiotic. I saw this tweet. I think it's 100% right. If there is a chance your head coach is going to get hired within you know, a day of being fired, maybe you should keep him, you know, keep him figured out. Right? If he's going to be in such high demand, which now Brian Flores is, if you're any coach with a, uh, or any team with a head coach opening, Brian Flores has immediately skyrocketed up your list to be one of the guys you are definitely interviewing and trying to hire. What did you think? Ah, maybe I should keep this guy. If he's going to be so in demand, if we let him go, maybe, you know, it's worth keeping. Maybe we tinker with the GM. Maybe, you know, we, we try to give him some semblance of an offense here to figure it out instead of just pulling the trigger and, and blaming, again, I guess his lack of success, if you want to call it that, turning one of the worst teams in the NFL two years ago, that was on track to be arguably, statistically, one of the worst teams we've ever seen in NFL history. Rivaling, uh, rival, rivaling, holy smokes, my apologies, folks. Rivaling the 0-16 Detroit Lions. 
And he turns them into now back-to-back winning seasons and has them turning a corner. You're going to fire. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Makes a ton of sense. What a disaster. What an absolute disaster that's going on in Miami. I don't get it. Makes zero sense to me. Someone's got to really figure it out. My guy, Texas Longhand, uh, Longhorns fan on, on the stream on Twitter writes, he agrees. It's totally moronic. The Dolphins have made arguably the dumbest move today, and they have taken over the storyline, taken over the Colts who have blew the game, taken over what was an incredible Chargers-Raiders game yesterday. They have taken over the talk of the town. That's what Steve Ross wanted to accomplish. Wanted to get a little more uh, notoriety, a little more uh, chatter surrounding his team. Congrats, Steven. You got the job done. Wow, that was a fast, fast show. We barely hit on anything we want to talk about. But, you know, when breaking news happens, we try to keep you guys updated. That was that was one of the fastest shows I think we've ever done here on the Worldwide Sports Network. A ton of news still are coming. So, again, just to recap, so far what we know, the Dolphins fired Brian Flores. The Bears have fired both their GM, Ryan Pace, and their head coach, Matt Nagy. The Vikings have done the same firing Rick Spielman, their GM, and uh, head coach Mike Zimmer. The Broncos have fired um, Vic Fangio. Also, we still have the Jaguars and the Raiders open as well. Obviously, those two jobs open during the season. So right now, that is all we know of job openings in um, in the NFL. We'll continue to keep you updated. Well, I guess we won't, but obviously stay updated throughout the day on Twitter as more and more news will continue to break, and we will fire. Uh, we will find the uh, the fate of a few other coaches as well. So that'll do for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Again, really appreciate everyone making us a part of your Monday here, starting the week with us. We didn't even get to the national title game. I will go Georgia tonight, 31-27 over Alabama. Georgia gets revenge, wins the national title game. So we will break that game down on Thursday. We'll get you ready for playoff super wild card weekend coming up this weekend. So a ton to get to. Thursday show will be a blast. So between now and Thursday, stay safe, stay sane, and we will talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.